0: From Bumble Australia and Shameless Media this is Love etc
1: when love takes me home Worry that you're not with the right person? Does your mind wander into thoughts that maybe, just maybe, the grass is greener on the other side? There's a chance you might be falling victim to Phobo. Welcome to Love Etc., where your hosts Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, you're listening to Love Etc, a
0: podcast by Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move. Today we're talking about FOBO, but before we tell you what it is, we ask you guys, do you actually know what FOBO is?
1: FOBO, I know what FOMO is, like fear of missing out, fear of being, of being... being alone, of being, FOBO, <laughs> Fobo, yeah, um, Fobo. I've heard of it before. Fear. Of objectified
0: (laughs) FOMO the only thing I know close to that is FOMO fear of missing out so I'm guessing it's something along those lines fear of something out
1: I actually have no idea like my brain goes to boyfriend or something or boning I don't know (laughs) that's that's like I have no like it's obviously fear of something out but fear of ooh that's that's, rough I was going to say fear of boyfriends that I can't think of like the last one (laughs) Fear of, I don't know, boyfriend obtaining. <laughs> I have no idea. All right, Zara, apparently these guys are convinced that Phobo is about boyfriend obtaining. Why don't you educate us all? What is Phobo? So Phobo is not... Fear of
0: boyfriend atta- <laughs> obtaining, which but that does actually sound like a very legitimate fear. Like it, it sounds like a mood. Uh, FOMO is a term that was coined by venture capitalist Patrick McGuinness, and it stands for fear of better options. Patrick McGuinness actually also coined the term FOMO.
1: Good old Paddy. Venture capitalist yet coining all of these pop culture terms. He coined, thought?
0: He coined them in 2003 as well when he was at the Harvard Business
1: School. <laughs> <laughs> so random. Like... Out of all the people to come up with FOMO and FOBO, it's old Patrick McGuinness.
0: I'm also very intrigued as to how you coin a term. Like, could we just coin a term about boyfriend obtaining and how do we put that into the public consciousness to make sure that anytime anyone ever attributes that, it's back to us? We need to make a different. Terrified of boyfriend obtaining. <laughs> Tobo. Tobo. <laughs> For a little bit more detail before we actually dive into how this relates to love, according to Tim Herrera of the New York Times, FOBO gives a name to that spiral we fall into when we obsessively research every possible option when faced with a decision fearing we'll miss out on the best one. Kind of like when I just bought my uh, new Samsung fridge. Did you spiral and think that there are a million different fridges you could be buying?
1: Yeah well you saw me spiral over the fridge but more importantly you saw me spiral over buying a rug. See? I was bombarding our group chat with Annabelle who works with us at Shameless Media for a full day with rug options because I was terrified about buying the wrong rug and now that I've bought one I'm still terrified there's a better more suited rug for me somewhere out there. It's
0: incredibly pervasive and McGuinness had this great quote where he said we have this tendency to keep stretching out the decision-making process because as human beings we are hardwired to optimize we've always looked to get the best things we can as sort of a survival of the fittest I love that so when it comes to love and heartbreak and relationships what we wanted to do when it came to FOBO is we wanted to get a sense of how you guys felt about your relationships past present even future and whether you guys ever felt this sense of perhaps the graph is greener, perhaps there's something else that might be better for me
1: out there. Exactly. So we did a whole bunch of research on more than 2,000 Love Etc listeners about fear of better options. We didn't use the FOBO acronym. We didn't even utter the words fear of better options, but we asked you questions that were completely inextricably linked from what we're about to talk about. Exactly.
0: So I think it was nearly 2,300 Love Etc listeners at the time of recording answered the questions in this survey. And the first question we asked, Mish, was, have you ever considered that someone who isn't your partner?" Could be better suited to you. I was pretty um, interested in this response that 49.65% of those in a relationship who answered that question answered yes they had considered
1: that someone who isn't their partner could be better suited to them almost half
0: almost half so
1: close to half of us think that there probably is someone out there who we're more compatible with who is not our significant other we sat at our desks Zara and looked at these results after a couple of thousand had rolled in and could not believe that half of the people listening to this podcast are thinking right now my boyfriend or my girlfriend or the person that I love is probably not the one for me.
0: And it's really, really interesting because I think a lot of people and potentially some of the people who answered this survey might be listening to this and thinking, well, I interpreted the question as this rather than that. And I think that's where these kinds of surveys get so interesting and these conversations get very interesting because it all comes down to how we consider love, how we consider our partner and whether they actually answered that as I think there's someone that's the one that's out there that's not the person that I'm with. Or they're simply answering it as,
1: yeah, I've thought about it, but I'm really happy with how I am. Absolutely. We are actually going to dive into some of our favourite responses from you guys because after asking you the question, have you ever considered that someone who isn't your partner could be better suited to you, we then asked, why did you respond that way? And some of the responses we got, Zara, were so fascinating. They were
0: juicy. I think this is what happens when you do anonymous surveys. Suddenly people have this outlet to talk about everything (laughs) they've ever wanted to talk about about when it comes to their relationship. I picked out a couple of my favorite examples, Mish. Um, One of the first ones that really stood out to me was this from an anonymous Love Etc listener who said, I worry that there is someone out there that I could click better with, that Spark would just be there and it would be passionate. How do you think about that? Because this one really spoke to me because I started to consider that concept of Spark Mm. and
1: whether it's a real thing. I personally think the spark is a real thing because I think I've felt it. And I think the biggest difference between my current partner and previous partners and previous men that I dated was the spark is there now and it wasn't there with other guys per se, or perhaps I've only ever had spark with a couple of people across my entire life. I've definitely had crushes on people or fallen for people, but that spark, that instant connection, that clicking feeling where it's almost like you click into each other and you get each other. I haven't had that with most of the people I've dated across my life. So, I mean, there's a lot of literature around about this some people want to debunk the spark entirely and call it bullshit and say they're very very happy with their life partners and there wasn't the spark there from the beginning that the spark was something they had to work on for me I do believe that it's something that's important in a relationship what about you yeah I agree with you I think it's for me personally
0: incredibly important but I guess it always comes down to this age-old concept of a spark for me might not be a spark for somebody else. Like, we don't know how everybody else is feeling. So my definition of a spark to me matters. Mm. I was interested in whether you actually think that a spark can be built. I don't know in my personal life, if I would want to stick out a relationship, if the spark had to be built over a really long stretch of time. But I do understand this idea that the spark needs to be built over a few dates. Like you need to actually understand who this person is before you even have an understanding of whether there's a connection there.
1: I agree with that. Personally, it's never built for me. It's been something that's there from the get go or it's not there at all. But I do not doubt people tell me all the time that they've built the spark. So I'm not going to deny that. What about this idea
0: of love being passionate? because that's the other thing this listener said that my love would
1: be more passionate. Oh. It's a hard one. I think <laughs> I'm not surprised that this listener is having fear of better options. If she's feeling like there is no spark and there's no passion, then of course you're going to start thinking could I find everything I've got in this relationship plus those very important things with someone else I think passion though surely realistically ebbs and flows over time like I love it does I would love to know how much this listener I mean if she's listening to this right now please reach out and tell <laughs> us I'd love to know how long she's been with her partner for if it's a really long-term relationship because I agree with you I think if she's been with this man or woman for five years then perhaps it's just part of the natural ebb and flow process they're just in a bit of a down period and it'll spike right back up again they'll be having sex every single day but if she's only been in this relationship for nine months I would be quite concerned that's the honeymoon period you should be fully obsessed with each other in that time right well well, yeah I think it's completely dependent on how long you've been together I have a favorite one that I want to bring in as well I mean I I wrote a whole list this is the thing we got Thousands of written responses. So we've picked out a handful, but I picked out this one because I think it is so interesting and it speaks so closely to what I think a lot of women, particularly those with anxiety or a tendency to catastrophize things, will agree with. She said, I usually doubt my relationship after a fight about something small. My mind starts spiraling and wonder whether it's indicative of a huge incompatibility. I think this is so interesting because I'm the same. I love my partner and in my very stable moments mentally, I know that we are absolutely right together and that it is a great relationship. But after a big argument, I do have that catastrophizing mentality where I'm like, well, is this pointing to some red flag that I didn't see from the beginning? And I I absolutely think that's an anxious trait and something that it's great that she can look back on and go, it's only after a fight and it's only very fleeting, but it's there. Yeah, it is a really interesting one. And for me, I think the red flag is not that
0: the argument happens, but how the argument happens. Like if you're having questions over your relationship because you're both butting heads and there's a real stubbornness to both of you, and you can't actually communicate in the moments when there's... Is fire and anger and clashing, then I do think, yeah, it's kind of natural to leave that argument and think... Well, what if, what if I could
1: find someone that could fight with me more compatibly, mm. not the fact that you're not fighting at all? Mm. Well, that's the thing. If you're having fights, you're going to have that in any relationship. Totally. You're going to disagree with anyone in any relationship. And I also think this ties into how we see relationships on social media. We never see those perfect, happy, blissful couples fight. And because we don't see that, it's almost like we're affronted when we have a clash with our partner. It's like, whoa, this isn't in the narrative that I subscribe to. I tell you what you need to do if you need to see a more realistic picture of uh, of
0: relationships is just go out with a bunch of them drinking on a Saturday <laughs> yes. night and then check back in at 2am and see how they're <laughs> all going. Hey, one of my other favorite ones was, I think there's always better and worse out there, but the grass is greener where you water it. Love that. And I think it's an incredibly realistic way and not a particularly unromantic way to look at love and your relationship. There probably is always better or worse out there. Like how can anyone be fundamentally sure that there isn't better or worse out there? But if you want
1: to put the effort in to keep the relationship alive, isn't that – a really good sign to start with. Yeah, and a testament to what you're building together. I've got another one that's in a similar vein. This listener wrote, I know logically there are millions of people in the world. Surely there is someone that on interest, lifestyle, characteristics may be better suited to me right now, but I'm not interested in them. I'm willing to make things work with my partner. I have never been happier. I am so content, supported, and loved every day. Although some people out there might be better suited, which is put in inverted commas, this is about what I want and I'm happy and I'm in love. And I think that's a really great way to tackle this as well, that she can logically say, yes, maybe out there there is someone who's better for me, but I'm not going to waste all my time searching for it because I'm happy and I'm content with my partner right now and I love him. Yeah, and I loved that too and I think now's the
0: perfect time to make the distinction between wanting to water your grass (laughs) as it sits around you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> to tend to your garden. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: my God. The, the places you could take this metaphor. Um, or settling. Mm. Like, there is a difference. And I think it's really important uh, to, to get into the mindset of, like, am I watering this because it's the easier option or it's because the option that I want? Mm. And is it the option that I want because it's the easier option? Like, you can really spiral having these thoughts. You absolutely can. And I, I don't imagine there are many people listening to this who haven't spiraled in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> around this. But I do think there's a distinction between recognizing that realistically there is better or worse out for you and wondering if your partner is the right fit for you and your life.
1: And it also depends. Are you searching for perfection? Because no matter what, perfection is not out there. Even if someone seems like the better option for you, they might only seem that way for the first six weeks. And then you realize the same issues and the same mess and the same chaos of life is still there. If you're searching for perfection, you'll probably always have fear of better options. If you're searching for contentedness, you probably won't.
0: Yeah, and if you're happy and in love and are treated well in this moment, then that's the only thing that I think matters to me. Mm. That is really the only thing I'll ever measure it by. I wanted to read you a couple
1: more, Michelle. Be my guest, please. (laughs) Give them all to me. This one, I often feel relationship FOMO. Ooh. As in other couples are happier than we are. Yeah. Yeah relationship FOMO. I have, I'll be honest, I haven't felt that even when I'm dating someone who might not be the right fit for me. Yeah.
0: I wonder if it's a case of needing to stay in your own lane, Mm. but then isn't looking at the couples around you and recognizing what is a healthy and an unhealthy relationship important to recognizing your own. But then second to that, look, I will literally spin around (laughs) in a million different angles this entire episode, (laughs) but then maybe you actually never have a a whole sense of what a couple is like because you never see behind closed doors.
1: Yeah, totally. But I think even when you just have a few, touch points with a couple, it's easy to see that everyone has flaws and everyone is imperfect. So I I find that concept of relationship FOMO really intriguing and one that I've never considered. We will obviously put a thread in our Facebook group Shameless Podcast community about this episode. If you've had relationship FOMO and want to talk about it, that's the place to come. One that I found fascinating, Zara, which you and I both turned to each other at our desks and were are like, oh, this so speaks to something that I think a lot of women and a lot of men struggle with. This listener wrote, I feel guilty to even say it, but sometimes I wonder if I should be with someone that challenges me more intellectually. Ah, uh, this, <laughs> this is something. This is so something. This is such a feeling that so yeah. many people experience. This person's definitely tapping
0: into something because it's also something that so few people feel like they can say aloud because you feel like an arrogant wanker for even thinking it or feeling mm. it or saying it. But it would be a very, very common thing to feel because it's so rare that you would find two people
1: on the same page intellectually as a couple. Yeah, and it depends how much you value that, that some people can be so happy in their relationship but find intellectual stimulation from other people or outside their literal home or that relationship with that one person. But clearly for this listener, it is of the utmost importance. And if she is having fear of better options and wondering, will she be intellectually stimulated by another person? it gets messy and I think you would get restless if you spend your entire relationship feeling like you're just not on the same level or you can't have deep conversations or really critically analyse things together.
0: Yeah, and I don't even think it needs to be an extreme level of intellectual compatibility but I do think there needs to be some sense that you can talk about things you both find interesting the other element to this is that if this person is a monogamist and wants to spend the rest of their life with this partner then I do think it's a huge consideration like where are you going to be at 60 or 70 if you're still together and having these conversations like I personally desperately hope that I get to that age and if you're friends are starting to die and you don't see anyone (laughs) as much and everything starts coming to an end, that you have a companion, hopefully there, that at the very least, when everything else starts to fall away, because everything does fall away, you can
1: hold on to that. We've got two more examples. I'll give you mine, Zara, then you can give me your last one. Mine is, I often think that I may have been better off with my ex who unfortunately passed away. My current partner is definitely who I see myself spending the rest of my life with and he's incredible, but I will always think, what if... That is so tricky, especially grieving someone who's not around anymore. You may be remembering all of the best moments you spend together, looking back on everything with rose-colored glasses, which of course you will. You're going through grief and you're loving someone who's not around anymore, but that complicated dynamic of missing someone who's no longer here in both their positives and their flaws is so murky.
0: Yeah, it's a really hard comparison to make and one that I don't think anyone could do properly or fairly and it's completely natural. I also think in the same way that this listener is probably looking back with rose-coloured glasses as we all would, you're probably projecting into the future uh, a potential future that may have been way happier than it could have been. Mm. Um, All of these things can be true. but and, And then I guess it comes down to that concept of soulmate like was this person better suited to her than the person she's with now or does it just seem like that with hindsight it's so so tricky but I think some people often a couple of responses we got about this mish was about exes as well that I loved them more but they were a worse fit for me and I find that a really interesting concept but that that maybe they don't love their current partner as much as their last one, but it's a better fit. It's a weird thing to get your head around.
1: Yeah, it really does seem like a thread that a lot of Love Etc listeners are in relationships now that might not be as passionate like that earlier listener we discussed, but they're healthier. And if the relationship is healthier but less passionate, does that make it better or worse than the one that was maybe a bit toxic but fiery. It's yeah, such an passionate. unusual passionate, like we yeah. come back to
0: passion again. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, the underlying thread through all of this is there's really no right or wrong answers. Mm. Like nobody knows what the answer is. I guess it just comes down to priorities. Like what do you prioritize in a relationship and what is worth sticking out? The last one that I wanted to bring up with you, Mish, was from a listener who said, this may be extreme, but I often envision entire possible lives with other people and how it might pan out. Mm. I do wonder if there's a lot to be said for how you think about your own life and your own future when it comes to the longevity of your relationship. Like Mm. how you think about the future might be quite indicative of the health of your relationship now. Do you think that? Is that too simplistic?
1: No, I think that's bang on. I think it's fascinating and thank you to all the people who sent us in their responses to this question because it was illuminating as far as millennial relationships go yeah
0: and what we'll do in the uh facebook group shameless podcast community once again on this thread is we'll break down these stats once again so you can see them with your own eyes and see how everybody else
1: answered coming up after the break how phobo infiltrates all aspects of our lives not just our romantic relationships but first it's time for a bumble break
0: Mish, many of our Love Etc listeners might already be on Bumble by now, but is there a way they can Bumble
1: better? Absolutely, Zara. Did you know that Bumble has recently designed the ability for you to show others what you're passionate about and filter for like-minded individuals? I love this so much. When editing your profile, you'll see you have the option of adding icons that indicate your interests. You can add icons for the parts of your life that are especially important to you, like your form of faith, your political leanings, and all your lifestyle preferences. I love that. It's really important to me how someone leans politically, so I would definitely include that when I was searching for a friend, say. Oh, totally.
0: We're also loving Bumble's extensive list of gender options, which allow new and existing members of the community
1: alike to identify beyond the binary. And don't worry, if you're feeling a little nervous or stuck, you're not alone. The Bumble team have done the heavy lifting and found simple, easy ways to get the conversation flowing with your new match. Bumble's handy conversation starter generator takes into account how highly you value kindness, ambition, humour, honesty and adventure to cure your perfect first message
0: Ah, oh, it's like the bane of everybody's existence how <laughs> helpful is that and then when you're tired of it all and need a break from your phone like we all do from time to time
1: bumble has a snooze feature allowing you to step away from the app for a few days while saving all your matches so many ways to maximize your time on the app and get the most from bumble in every possible way download bumble today and make the first move one app three modes one mission So Zara, we did ask the question of whether our Love Etc listeners had considered a life with someone who wasn't their current partner. The next big question that we asked them was, how do they actually consider a life partner? How do they define a life partner? And they are very, very divided.
0: Absolutely, they are divided, but I guess that's probably the theme of this survey. So what we found when we said, what statement is true for you when you're considering your life partner? And the four answers were, it's my soulmate. The next option was, they are one in a million. The next one was someone they are really, really compatible with. And the last option was someone they like living with and who has a similar life plan to them. Fifty-four point six two percent of respondents said that they considered their life partner to be either someone that's just really compatible with them or someone they like living with and who has a similar life plan to
1: them. So the majority of Love Etc. listeners are a little bit pragmatic, I'll say that, and realistic when it comes to considering a life partner and that, yeah, the idea of soulmates or one in a million is really romantic and nice and almost plucked from a fairy tale. But the majority of young women aren't thinking about that when they're choosing someone to spend their life with or get married or settle down and have kids. What they're choosing is someone they're simply compatible with that they don't mind spending time with.
0: Yeah, someone who is easy. And I say that in the best way possible, like love should be easy. So the other just over 45% say it's either your soulmate or one in a million. So less than half do think it's that really sort of magic meeting of souls or people.
1: Less Almost than finding half. like a unicorn. Totally. And I mean, we're saying less than half, but it's pretty split still. What have we got? Was it 54, 46? Yeah, 54, 46. We're so. very divided yeah. down the middle.
0: Yeah. So it was 20% of survey respondents said that their partner is their soulmate and 25% said they considered them one in a million. I'm curious, where do you
1: sit? I reckon maybe one in a million. Mm, I think we're both a little bit on the romantic- side of things, which is probably why we pitched a Romance (laughs) and Love and Relationships podcast. We are probably a little bit dreamy when it comes to love and relationships. I was the same. I answered this survey myself and I said one in a million. However, I was pretty close to answering the third one down the ladder, which was someone I'm just really compatible with that I love living with. This
0: is where I find it really interesting because you skew from one in a million down to really compatible with and I reckon I'd skew up but maybe not for the reason that people would think. Like, I would skew up to soulmate because I think it's how we consider perspective rather than the words in question here. Like what actually makes a life partner? How do we define a life partner? Yes, some people consider a soulmate to be a person they were destined to be with from the moment they were born and others consider their life partner to be the person they are just really compatible with and happen to cross paths with at the same time. But I do think that there is a kind of beauty in still stumbling on the person that you're compatible with. (laughs) You're such
1: a romantic. No, but
0: do you know what I mean? Like even if there was 100 million people for you in this world, Michelle, that you could have ended up with a hundred million people, there is still a reason that you ended up with the one that you're with now. Ooh. So, isn't there elements of soulmate ness to that? Well, are you telling me you believe in fate? Well, that's exactly where I'm going to get to because I'm like, I don't know. It depends entirely on how you consider fate, like whether you consider that everything happens
1: for a reason or that every choice you make could take you on a different path. See, I'm more thinking that there are probably a couple of handfuls of people around the world that I'd be very compatible with. And I am very, very lucky that I met someone who sits in that handful of people because i'm extremely happy but i don't think it was fate i really don't believe in fate no
0: nor do i and this you is, believe in soulmates. no no because this is purely a definitional thing for me right <laughs> i think that a soulmate is not the person i was always destined to be with but the person i was always going to end up with would be my soulmate because they were the one i eventually ended up with does that make any sense to you so you're reverse engineering a soulmate yes <laughs> don't you think that makes perfect sense no I think so because it's like well there are a reason that you two choose to work at this there are a reason that you two choose to come together and spend your life together there has to be even if it's just someone you like living with and having kids with there's a reason that you end up together
1: I'm going to take you off this hamster wheel of just know, cognitive just, dissonance but right is. now like
0: it's it's it, pu- it really does come down to philosophy
1: yeah it does entirely and I wonder speaking of philosophy we said in the first question that have you considered a life with someone who isn't your current partner that we had almost 50 percent and then with The second big question, which was, How do you define life partner? How do you define a significant other? We had another 50% who said, well, I want the dream. I want the fairy tale soulmate one in a million. And I wonder if there's much overlap between that, that the people who constantly fear of better options are also the ones who dream the largest and the biggest. Because I wouldn't mind betting there is an overlap, that if you're looking or if you're expecting this one perfect fit, this one in a million or this one person in the entire universe who's made for you, i wouldn 't mind betting there 's an overlap with then having fear of better options, and it comes down largely to how you do define what you want in a relationship,
0: yeah, and I also think that perhaps there's a type of person that might consider grass as greener, like I do think that some people are more hardwired to think that. There could be better options because it's not just a case in their love life, but maybe their job or even when they go out for dinner and order a meal
1: at a restaurant. Can't decide from a massive menu. <laughs> exactly. Or look at their friend's meal and think, fuck, I should have ordered that. Mm. Do you think people with phobo are the most likely to cheat? Uh, no. No. Really? Because I think they are. I think if you're a massive sufferer of FOBO, fear of better options, fear of the grass being greener, you would be more likely to stray outside of your relationship and almost try things with other people on the side. Let me rework my (laughs) answer. I
0: don't think there's a direct correlation between having FOBO and cheating. I don't think that just because you
1: have FOBO, you're therefore going to cheat. I don't think it's cause and effect, but I think there's definitely some kind of correlation there.
0: Yeah, you might be absolutely right because they also think maybe they just to argue against myself for the hundredth time this episode.
1: We should just title this episode Zara Spiralling for 40 minutes.
0: (laughs) I do think that based on some of the responses we got, right, which were – I am in a relationship and I'm happy enough, but I've met a friend later in life mm. and now we're really close and maybe they were my soulmate, but I'll never do anything. There is a sense of romanticism about maybe having an affair. Mm. Like there could, you could romanticize an affair because of FOBO. Do you get that sense in later years?
1: Totally. I agree with that as well. And then I think you could take it even further that maybe for a lot of people, soulmate doesn't have to be a romantic partner. Maybe a soulmate for you could be your sister, could be your daughter, could be anyone in your or life. Parent. Or a parent. Yeah, that your soulmate might not be the person that you end up marrying or settling down with, that it's someone platonic. Yeah, and I think that's a really important perspective here. I also think the other element
0: that we haven't even touched on is Patrick McGinnis, who actually coined the term phobo, said that the richer you are, the more powerful you are, the more options you have, that's when you start to feel it. He also said that phobo is an affliction of affluence. And I'm interested in your perspective with this one. I do think when it comes to ordering food or when it comes to like objects that we're making decisions over or even jobs that that maybe phobo is an affliction of affluence, but is it always, can you be hardwired to be an overthinker even without privilege or
1: affluence? Well, it's interesting because this term was coined in 2003 right and the world has changed so drastically since then i know that it's kind of cliche to bring instagram and facebook into everything but i really really do believe that social media has harnessed this competitiveness amongst people that peer-to-peer we are more competitive or we are looking to the side more and kind of trying to figure out what everyone else is doing and i think that has something to answer for i also think the aspirational elements of social media have made us obsessed with self-optimization. And that's not simply reduced to people who have excess wealth or have time to think about these things. I think as long as we're subscribing to this social media model, and as long as we're subscribing to likes and comments and engagement and filtered selfies, then we are going to in some way or another, whether it's our romantic relationships, our career, our lifestyle, we're going to fall victim to FOBO.
0: Well, McGuinness himself said it was about self-optimization and I think it does also come down to our obsession with customization and personalization. Like everything we do and every decision we make and every person we surround ourselves almost has to be on brand and well-suited to Mm -hmm. us these days. Like even and especially our jobs, like our jobs have to now match our values. And it reminds me of um, I interviewed a psychologist a little while ago for a project we're working on. And I was talking to her about heartbreak and she was talking to me about how heightened consumerism has meant that heartbreak is a different experience for Mm. us now as millennials because we make so many choices a day when it comes to what we're buying or eating that when we maybe end a relationship, all we do is consider whether it was the right decision, Mm. whether we made the right choice or the wrong choice and we spend a lot of time going back and forth on that.
1: I think millennials as a generation are quite idealistic. I 100% think that and I think it's also reflected in the fact that we are referred to as the job hopping generation. I mean, we are more likely than any other generation to leave something in the hope, in the dream of finding something slightly better and we're kind of stuck on this loop of landing in something, not being quite content, trying to go and find a new groove that feels like a better fit for us. But 21% of millennials have said that they've changed jobs within the past year because they're looking for that dream job. That is three times more than the number of non-millennials who have changed jobs in the last 12 months. We are always searching for the best. It's better, better, better all the time and we're very rarely content with what we have Right now, well, given you 've said that, that brings us to our last question
0: that we asked, which was "Do you worry you 've made the wrong choice in life partner, which ties on <sighs> to everything we 've just said, and nearly twenty seven percent of those in a relationship who responded
1: said yes twenty seven percent think they 're currently with the wrong person it 's phobo everywhere it 's fo- yeah, literally a quarter more than a quarter of you guys listening right now are scared you 're with the wrong person, you do think someone better is out there. You are suffering with phobo. 100% in your romantic relationship. And then add on top of that, how many Love Etc listeners think they're in the wrong job or think they're in the wrong apartment? Or friendship group. Or friendship group, think they haven't found the right best friend. It's, it's such an interesting psychological phenomenon that we're all struggling with this idea that we don't have the right one right now but are we ever going to find the right one and how do we then rewire our brains (laughs) to just be happy with what we've got but then on the other hand maybe it isn't the right one and maybe you should go and look for something else
0: exactly it's like I also don't want to encourage people to be in shit relationships if they're not being respected or or being loved well enough all of this chat about like self-optimization and finding the best all it does is actually make me just want to be average. Live averagely.
1: Yeah, I think there's such beauty in living a vanilla existence. I just want
0: to live quietly now. Like, I just want to exist without unpacking why the decisions I've made are the ones that I've made. Mm. Like it's a stressful thing to think about. I've spiralled for the last 40 minutes.
1: I want to lie down and eat some like really creamy carbonara or something. If you are listening to this and you are also spiralling and if you're wondering if there are now better options for you out there, (laughs) please come and speak to us. I do think Zara, closing argument, come into the Facebook group, but my closing argument to this entire episode, and it is cliched again, I really think it boils down to whether or not you are happy and content in your life right now. Are you feeling at peace? Do you feel like your best self? I think that's the best way to look at this. Do you feel like your best self with your partner? Because to me, my personal definition of a life partner is someone who I'm a teammate with. We had Zoe Foster Blake say that on an episode of Shameless Lately when we interviewed her, that it's a teammate. And I love that definition. I think it's the same for me. I feel like in my relationship right now, I am my best self. I feel like me when I'm around my partner. I feel like we're a team. I feel happy and content. And I'm absolutely not about to throw that all in the bin to go search for something that belongs in a fairy tale and probably doesn't exist in the real world.
0: Yeah and I think the main factor of that that sticks out to me of what you just said is this idea of living in the present. Like I know we hear it thrown around a lot but I think if you're spending that much time spiraling over the past and the future the only thing you can actually control is the right now and if that we're happy enough right now and we feel like we're treated well enough right now then most of the other shit works itself out
1: yeah and self-optimization is great but if you're your best self right now that's all that matters
0: love etc is a production from shameless media sign up to bumble australia the social networking app where women make the first move towards friendship professional and romantic relationships we will see you guys
1: next friday Bye!